0: grab your trowel and a cup of coffee as you're listening to Archeo Cafe I'm your host Otis Crandell Welcome to another episode of cafe I'm Otis, and today I have two guests, Sarah Janesco, Assistant Project Manager at the Veterans Curation Program of the Alexandria Flagship Lab in Alexandria, Virginia, USA, and Erin Katney, CRM Archaeologist at WSB in Washington, D.C., USA. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having us. Thanks, Otis. It's good to be here.
0: What originally got you interested in archaeology?
1: Hey Oda, Sarah here. Um, I originally got interested in archaeology uh, sort of around my undergrad um, studies in cultural anthropology and a little bit afterwards. Um, I really um, was interested in material culture and really the tangible aspects of archaeology and the connection that people have with the physical objects. Um, and how it helps us understand our pasts and and sort of reconcile with them. Um, During my undergraduate studies, I was part of the Anthropology Club and we put on a film screening and discussion of a film called Traces of the Trade, A Story from the Deep North. And this film featured a white family's journey of reconciling with their ancestors' involvement in the slave trade in Rhode Island. At one point, they were able to touch the shackles that would have been used on the enslaved people that their family was buying and selling. And it moved them to feel the inhumanity of slavery in a deeper and different way because they were connecting with those physical objects. And I have seen this also with African-American descendants who have connected with their ancestors who were enslaved and learning more about what their lives were like and what were their acts of resistance and, and how they were practicing their own religions, um, even through these difficult times. And this is all through the help of the archeological record. Um, I think one of the strengths of archeology span is experiencing an archeological site and touching these artifacts that are recovered and how those can connect descendants with their pasts. And if done with the descendants input into this process, it can facilitate reconciliation and healing.
0: Erin, what got you interested in archaeology?
2: For me, archaeology, my interest in it is always, um, it's something that's just always been there for me. Uh, I know when I was maybe in middle school, I tried to teach myself how to to read hieroglyphs, which is about the (laughs) dorkiest thing I've ever admitted uh, in a public forum. Uh, But, um, you know, it took me a while to realize that it can actually be my career and something that that I do. Um, And I, I got drawn to like the really like Sarah said, the really tangible nature of archaeology. I'm so intrigued by holding artifacts and puzzling out their meaning and, and feeling that connection to the people that built or used them, um, in the past. And just being able to be at a site and occupy the same space that, that people were in, I think is just so powerful. And it helps me to better understand, you know, my place in the world. And I hope that I translate that for other people. And, and the, the more I've gotten into my archeological career, um, yeah, that's the part of it that really keeps me hooked is is really um, taking my understanding and, and my connection to it and trying to translate that as best I can so that other people might feel that same kind of connection to it that I do.
0: Sarah, what are your particular areas of interest?
1: My My areas of interest are in historical archaeology. And uh, my primary experience and background is in the mid-Atlantic region, so of the US. So uh, Maryland, Virginia, um, this area. And um, I- I've been drawn to archaeology of sites of conflict, um, So uh, you know, landscapes and and places where there have been conflict between different groups of people. And I think this is you know, part of an interest for me because uh, this feels like a way where uh, an avenue that archeology span can sort of be, be a mechanism to bring people um, to reconcile with these pasts. Um, so in the US doing work um, and, and researching on, uh, uh, around the civil war era and in reconstruction, Um, and dealing with issues of race and gender in the archaeological record and and obviously also within our profession as well. Um, I'm sort of uh, also interested a little bit in archeology span in Israel as well. Um, One of my other interests too is uh, human environment interactions and and relationships um, and how we can uh, understand those relationships through the archaeological record as well
0: um yeah Erin what are your areas of interest
2: uh so my research is primarily based in the mid-atlantic region as well um I focus more on pre-contact sites though um and my my research so I previously was working with Sarah at the veterans curation program and then began my job uh, in CRM archaeology this year Um, But I've kind of always had my thesis project as sort of a side hustle that I've been doing. So um, I had a legacy collection that was created in the 1980s that we found in our lab at American University and uh, a woman named Betty Veach had uh, surveyed all of these sites in the Potomac Creek Estuary, which is about an hour south of DC and in Virginia. Um, and she never did anything with all of her artifacts. So I have been working to recover her work and relocate her sites and identify the artifacts. And, um, my hope is that eventually these can be helpful and and useful and interesting for the indigenous groups that still live in that area.
0: Early this year, you both wrote a letter to the organizers of the society for American archeology span to asked to take action to eliminate racism within their organization. Why have many organizations been resistant to implementing change? Why has there not been internal discussion of this situation before now?
2: Um, I can take that. Um, our letter to the SAA was written in the wake of the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and so many others at the hands of police. And we wrote it because The SAA had released a very lackluster statement via email, and it was resonant of so many other statements from organizations and corporations that were just paying lip service to the Black Lives Matter movement over the summer. Uh, We were really disappointed that it didn't advise members on what actions they could take or point members towards resources that they could use or address the very real issue of white supremacy and archaeology. And so we were disappointed by this Lack of leadership and guidance from our largest professional organization, and we wrote the letter beseeching the SAA to be a leader in this movement, and we provided them with examples of actions they could take. So we had a couple hundred people sign the letter and we delivered it to the SAA. Uh, In response, the board formed a social justice task force. And Sarah and I are actually co-chairing that with Terry White, who is a professor at the University of South Carolina, and he's also a member of the Society for Black Archaeologists. Um, so our role on the task force is to research and propose anti-racist actions to the SAA board and compile a report of recommendations and next steps um, for them to take at the end of the two-year term. And, and those things are happening in a real time as well. So we're not just waiting two years and then reporting. We are um, researching and, and suggesting things to the board as we come up with, with um, things we should do. Um, so essentially the SAA has asked us as members to tell them what we would like to see happen to create an anti-racist SAA.
0: Why do you think there hasn't been much discussion of this before now? I mean, it's not a new situation. Mm -hmm. This has been around longer than any of us have even been around. It's ongoing. Everyone knows it's there. Why only now is there discussion of it?
2: Yeah, so I don't know that it's entirely fair to the SAA to say that it hasn't been addressed internally in in any uh, form before. Um, and I really don't want to discount the efforts of those who have worked in this space before to help to us to get where we are now. Um, so the SAA actually has a webpage that was published in 2017 listing all of the different groups who are engaged in some aspect of diversity and inclusion. So this ranges from a diversity committee to an LGBT archives round table. And there's a, there was a 1990s task force on diversity. Um, a lot of these efforts are you know a 1990s task force on diversity has a much different concept of what we need to do you know anti-racism wasn't necessarily a defining um action at that time and so the the 1990s recommendations are very much based in 1990s uh diversity uh mm-hmm. ideals um so i think it's fair to say that the the initiatives have not been effective in addressing anti-black or anti-indigenous racism in archaeology um Sometimes these efforts can be hollow gestures, and they might result in a conversation, but not actionable items. Um, and I, you know, it, it's clear that the SAA and archaeology in general has a problem with racism, and we need more tangible steps to address it. So I think that's what we're trying to do now is really um, use uh, this this momentum of this moment uh, to use it as leverage to Actually, make some change within the SAA. Yeah,
1: I'll jump in on this one too, Erin, and and say that I, I think another sort of aspect of this too is that um, you know even individuals who who have been involved in this uh, in this conversation for a while and been doing work on diversity and anti racism um, even sometimes you know if if their efforts um, if their efforts are not heard by the larger organization, um, who, you know, maybe put together a task force or committee, and, and this is sort of speaking, you know, broadly, um, if those individual recommendations aren't taken into account by the organization as a whole, then, um, you know, their efforts don't really pan out in the long term. And I think that's sort of one of the challenges, um, to implementing change, um, it's difficult for organizations to, to implement these anti-racism practices because these institutions are predominantly white and uh, were, you know, sort of developed out of um, ideals of colonialism in a lot of ways. Um, so, you know, designed originally to advantage white people and disadvantage not non-white people. Um, so I think that's, you know, one of the bigger challenges too is, Despite individuals doing lots of work towards, you know, anti-racism practices, it's it's just harder for larger organizations to um, to implement these. And I say harder, not to you know relieve uh, responsibility, <laughs> but just to say that you know it's it's a big, complex issue issue to tackle.
0: It requires a bigger solution, a more thorough overhaul of the system yeah in order to make these changes
2: yeah yeah and i would say long-term commitment to it as well these are not things that Mm -hmm. can change overnight and it's very hard to sustain this attention to the issue especially when it's so hard to address um you know there just aren't easy fixes and and there's no one thing that's going to make it magically better this is such a huge problem And, and so it takes a really concerted sustained effort and a lot of the attention span and funding just isn't always there.
0: When we're talking about racism, what does this entail? What is racism? and What are some of the different types of racism?
1: I think, you know, one place to start is um, talking about the concept of race, um, which is a social construct, um, and anthropologists have, have agreed on that for, you know, decades. But Um, What that means is that it's also, it's a way of categorizing people and putting people into a hierarchy of privilege and power. Um, So to accept race as a construct is also to acknowledge that racism is learned. And then we can begin to question and examine, okay, who's in power? Who's making these decisions? um, Who decides what is historically relevant or important? um, those types of questions. Um, and racism, and it also means that racism can be given more power if we ignore it, or we can start to dismantle it if we examine and question the who and the why and the how. Um, one of the, uh, definitions of racism that I've come across, um, was from Ijoma Oluo, who's an American writer and author of So You Want to Talk About Race. And she defines racism as any prejudice against someone because of their race when those views are reinforced by systems of power. And that sort of deliberately accounts for systemic racism. Um, this, This notion that racism is not simply about individual attitudes or like one bad apple, but it recognizes that those attitudes are then backed by a larger structure. Um, and so that's uh, primarily the, the main form of racism, structural racism that I think we talk about a lot in terms of, you know, how do organizations create change and how do we start to sort of dismantle this?
2: Uh, just going to say, I'll probably largely echo what Sarah said, but, Um, you know, there are a few different definitions of racism out there, but I think a lot of them, most of them center on the power and the the status quo involved. So, um, Ibram X Kendi defines racism as a powerful collection of racist policies that lead to racial inequity and are substantiated by racist ideas. Um, so you, a lot of people confuse racism and prejudice and you know everybody can be prejudiced and we all do have our own prejudices whether we realize it or not but racism is when those prejudices become backed by the status quo and the existing power structure um so these racist ideas and policies are then used to reinforce these prejudices to subjugate black and brown people in, in our society um and then uh Kendi goes on to define anti-racism as essentially the opposite of racism. So any policy that leads to racial equity and is substantiated by anti-racist ideas.
0: What are some of the typical ways that racism manifests in professional and academic organizations and institutions? And how do they affect individual people, in particular within archaeology?
1: I would say uh, there are... Sort of like two avenues which I see racism affecting people in archaeology. One is at sort of the the professional level at the institutions that we work in, um, and also at in the interpretation and preservation of sites. um, And sort of like I mentioned before, you know, how we are deciding which sites are important to research and the kinds of questions and analysis that we're doing of those sites as well. Um, and I think, in terms of you know, at an individual level, racism can manifest as uh, things like microaggressions, um, you know, comments that people say um, that are offensive or are rooted in in a sort of a racist uh, background, um, whether or not somebody intends it to be that way. Um, And I think in all of its forms, racism, it's really important to understand that racism has a measurable negative effect on the lives of black people and indigenous people and other people of color. Um, And because it has that negative effect, it's so important for us to to really work towards dismantling this within our institutions. so that our colleagues who are negatively affected and disadvantaged by the system, they're not fighting alone and and they don't continue to be harmed by it. Um, So it can really um, affect, you know, somebody's upward movement in in their career uh, and their professional life. Um, If they're afraid to speak out against harassment that's happening against them, for example, it can continue. um uh, I'll I'll break there if Erin you want to jump in.
2: Yeah, so I think Sarah addressed a lot of the ways that um uh racism manifests in int- institutions and can affect individual people. Um but I would also add a bit about white supremacy culture and how that shows up in our organizations. Um so there are a few great resources out there about this. And one that I really like is written by Tima Okum from dismantlingracism.org. And so Okum uh, describes that white supremacy culture can show up as perfectionism, a sense of urgency, defensiveness, quantity, valuing quantity over quality, uh, worshiping the written word. So if it doesn't exist in a memo, it didn't happen. Um, there being only one right way to do something, uh, an attitude of paternalism, either or thinking, power hoarding, fear of open conflict, individualism, uh, progress being bigger or more, um, objectivity or the um, a, a belief in objectivity, <laughs> um, and the right to comfort, so the right to being comfortable in your space. Um, So I know for me, the first time I read these, I was kind of shocked by how much I've seen these show up um, and didn't even realize that they were examples of white supremacist culture uh, showing up in my workplace or in my attitudes towards work. And um, it it took me a while to really absorb the concept. But the thing that I really like about the author's resource is that they also um, explain antidotes to them. So you can address how to um, handle perfectionism. If that's something that you're um, struggling with in your organization, or if you're as a manager or a perfectionist, then the antidote to that would be to um, work more with your team and uh, get more input on a project that you're working on. And I think that's really valuable and helpful. Uh, but talking more on the individual level, level um, Underrepresentation on field crews um, or at field schools is a really big problem for people not feeling safe or welcome and then leaving the field uh, before they might otherwise leave the field. So there was an article that was posted on Sapiens online earlier this year, describing why the whiteness of archaeology is a problem. It's very good. I, I recommend you check it out. Uh, But in it, one of the authors describes a racial microaggression that he dealt with at field school, in which another field school student made a joke at his expense about how people with his skin tone don't need sunscreen. Um, And so those kinds of little insensitivities that are just, they're ignorant and they're racist and they're harmful to people. But, you know, a collection of these over time can be very damaging to somebody's mental health um, and even feel threatening in a sense. Um, and so people end up leaving the field because they've experienced one too many issues like this. Um, and that's due to a lack of ed- education and a lack of, not on their part, but on the the part of the aggressors, a lack of education um, and a lack of compassion and a lack of uh, reflection.
1: I wanted to jump back in too and, and um, talk a little bit about um, how racism manifests in our interpretation, preservation of sites. Um, and one of the things that comes to mind is um, I, I recently watched um, a virtual symposium that the American Cultural Resources Association put on, and it was about um, systemic bias in historic preservation and CRM. And they talk about, the panelists talk about um, things like the structure of the National Register of Historic Places, which in the U.S. is, is a mechanism for designating historic sites as culturally significant. And, um, you know, along with that comes protection for those sites and, and um, notability. And um, a lot of the things that Aaron mentioned as part of white supremacist culture, um, it sort of shows up in things of this nature, where you know we have these laws in place to promote preservation, uh, which is good, but it doesn't uh, have the equity built into it. Um, so even things uh, like needing a property to be nominated for the register um, uh, kind of narrows down what kinds of of sites you can nominate. Um, and attaches some of these rigid structures um, to uh, historical significance um, and sort of defining this very narrow uh, definition of what um, what is culturally
2: significant.
0: Why is the problem of racism something that everyone should be concerned about?
2: Um... So archaeologists build their careers studying, interpreting, and telling the stories of people who are often from marginalized communities. And, you know, we like to talk about how we tell the other side of the story, where the historical record is reflecting the, the story of those who were in power, or those who won, or you know, those whose records were preserved. But archaeology is adding nuance to that tale and telling the stories of the people who didn't make it into the books, or people who were powerless in society at that time, or who lost the battle. Um, So it's inherently problematic for white archaeologists to be interpreting these stories without engaging descendant communities, or considering racial frameworks, or considering how a perspective other than their own might interpret a site differently. So if we care about accurately interpreting the past, our discipline has to become more welcoming to Black, Indigenous, and people of color as colleagues.
1: Yeah, I, I also think speaking you know, more broadly to the problem of racism sort of in our societies, um, it's something we should all be concerned about because sort of simply put, racism is a system of oppression that we're all a part of, whether we wanna be or not and whether or not we choose to acknowledge it, right? So it's happening even if we're ignoring it. Um, One of the resources that I've looked at is from the National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, DC in the US. And they have a space on their website to help people of all races um, and identities talk about race. And they identify three components of why it's important for everyone to talk about this and that is everyone has a racialized identity racialized identity has major impacts on a person's life and race is a defining social construct in american life so it's there it exists we all have a racial identity and we should all learn what that means for us and for ourselves and for others around us um, so you know, sort of simply put, if you don't want to continue the systems of racism, uh, start thinking about it, reflecting on it, understanding how you participate in it in different ways, um, and uh, look at how it affects your life and the lives of, of other people around you as well.
0: Well, that kind of leads into another question I want to ask. How do our backgrounds, Things like race, economic status, gender, culture, sexuality, other characteristics, how do these influence us as archaeologists or as researchers in general? What are some of the effects of having less diversity among archaeologists?
1: I think that there's definitely different aspects of our identities that play a role in what we as research bring to the table in terms of our interpretations of of the materials, of sites, and really how we interact with what's historically been recognized in our field as legitimate knowledge. Um, Actually, there's there's a recent co-authored article in the essay's archaeological record um, by Gabby Omani Hartman. And Gabby writes, What defines archeological knowledge today is still the same set of references written by white, Western, European or Euro-American, English or French-speaking cisgendered individuals. This implies that any person not in this privileged minority must first learn their knowledge system. So Gabby notes here that this is making our discipline complicit in excluding black students from the field of archeology span and anyone else who doesn't identify as being part of that minority of white English speaking cisgendered individuals. I, I think just sort of generally having a less diverse field of archeologists means that we as a field are continuing to uphold these, these same structures and, and colonial, colonial structures. Um, I think it means there's less opportunity for new ideas and new ways of thinking. Um, But it also means that we will not grow as a profession, and worst-case scenario, we may do more harm in our interpretations and interactions with communities of color. Um, I sort of had a a personal example of of this lack of diversity in my own professional journey uh, recently. Um, Several sites that I've worked on over the past couple of years were historic sites of African-American tenant farmers in Maryland and uh, through this I I felt that I was sort of struggling to find an interpretation or a framework with which to understand how those farmers were really interacting with their environment and also with the social environment too. And I recently attended a webinar in which Justin Dunavant described his work in St. Croix and the framework for black historical ecology and the black anthropocene which opened up a new perspective for me that i realized i was missing from my previous work so i share this as sort of an a, a personal example of when you know there's a lack of diversity at best we kind of miss out on this new perspective in our professional work and at worst we have the potential to do harm uh, if we're attempting to interpret a site with a racialized history without that theoretical framework that accounts for that intersectionality of race and gender, sexuality, and all of these other identities. So ultimately, more diversity among archaeologists will mean more chances to dismantle racism in our field.
0: What are some of the barriers to discussion of this problem that society is facing? And what's holding us back?
2: Um, So I think one of the most foundational barriers that a lot of people who aren't actively engaging with this topic experience is this problematic idea of what racism is or isn't. Uh, We have this idea that just because you don't use racial slurs and you might get along well with a colleague or or friend of a different race that you can't possibly be racist. Um, But as Sarah mentioned before, we live in this society where race is a part of our everyday lives. And you can't avoid um, taking part in this in some ways. And so nobody wants to be called racist because we understand that it's a bad thing, but there are much less obvious ways in which white people engage in racist rhetoric that can be incredibly harmful. And so until we can address that we all have these inherent biases that can manifest in racist ideologies, we can't address this issue. And we can begin to grow when we acknowledge these biases. But um, you know, it's it's very humbling and embarrassing to address what sorts of prejudices you might have. Uh, but the nice thing about it is that those biases can be unlearned. Um, what I really like about anti-racism, as opposed to these ideas of diversity and inclusion initiatives, which are a very like 1990s way to address the problem. Um, Anti-racism is an active ongoing process. So it consists of making concrete actions and concrete choices that are anti-racist actions um, that are a process of learning and unlearning that takes time on a personal and institutional level. Um Kendi, Ibram X. Kendi, describes that people, institutions, and policies can be racist or anti-racist at any given moment. So there's a space to acknowledge um, that your biases exist and you can correct them and move towards being more anti-racist than racist. Um, And I I think, too, that anti-Black racism in the United States is this huge, nebulous issue that can't be solved overnight, and it requires uh, sustained attention, um, you know, we're really good at hopping on a bandwagon and posting our stance on social media while the topic is front of mind. But when it comes to sustained action and really getting in the trenches to do the work, we're not always so great at that. And this is such a huge problem that it can be really overwhelming and hard to know where to start. But at the end of the day, for me, um, you know, the discomfort that I might feel discussing race and challenging white supremacy is Nothing compared to the fact that lives are literally on the line in our fight for racial equity. The reality is that Black people are 2.8 times more likely to die at the hands of police than white people. And we're trying to solve this issue of anti-Black racism and archaeology while the nation is dealing with a huge racial reckoning. Archaeology is a discipline that is inherently political, as are the lives of those who practice it and our institutions, organizations and places of work have to be prepared to meet this moment and create an equitable environment for everyone. And that means fair hiring practices, diverse curriculums, access to resources, representation, and a strong commitment to anti-racism among other things.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's so right, Erin. And, and one of the things that I've noticed too, um, un- unfortunately is that I think our field in archaeology and, and sort of more broadly in anthropology, um, there's this sort of notion that because we study human cultures, past and present, that we as a profession cannot be racist or, or uphold racist values. So I, I do think that, and this is not, you know, the case everywhere, but I do think that sometimes there are people within. Some of our institutions that deny that this problem exists for our, our profession in the first place. And I think that's, you know, that can be a roadblock to um, implementing change if there's a couple of people, or if the department as a whole, or organization as a whole, um, you know, don't really acknowledge that, that this can still happen, even in archaeology, even in, um, in anthropology.
2: Yeah. And I, I just wanted to add one more thing to that. I think, um, another issue in tackling is tackling this is that it's a disruption of the status quo and white people can be really afraid of what it looks like to share the wealth and the power. And, you know, when it you might not explicitly think about it that way, but a lot of people do have that fear that there's not enough to go around, um, when that is absolutely not the case. Hmm. And, um, we have to stop being worried about that.
0: What should organizations be doing to eliminate racism within the organizations? What are some of the concrete measures that can be implemented?
1: I think um, part of it has to start uh, with with individuals um, and ensuring people within that organization who who are running and leading and making decisions are um, trained in anti-racism. And uh, kind of like what we said before, you have to acknowledge the problem and understand understand the problem before you can begin to solve it. Um, and I think that that occurs within organizations as well. Um, so ensuring that, that the leaders um, of our institutions um, understand what this this problem is and how to go about solving it within the organization. Um, So getting everyone on the same page is, I think, the first step. Um, Some of the other examples that we provided in our letter to the SAA um, were things like uh, incorporating uh, anti-racism values into the ethics statements and um, uh, promoting those. Um, Ethics you know, particularly for such a large professional society like SAA, those are used in in classrooms and field schools to, um, you know, teach students what what the ethical responsibilities of our profession are. and anti-racism should be should be in that. Um, other other recommendations, I think, fall under actions that um, uh, can be taken by some organizations like a, an assessment or an evaluation to examine. Um, how the, you know, the organization's policies, bylaws, committees, all of these structures, how those are either upholding the status quo and not benefiting everyone, or um, if we can, what are the things that we can do to make them more equitable and allow for inclusion um, in these different sort of structures within an organization?
2: Some other things that organizations can do to eliminate racism, um, Well, first of all, would be to commit financial resources so that they are literally investing in racial equity in the organization. Um, Committing financial resources is kind of putting it out there as a good faith effort that the organization is serious about making these changes because their finances are on the line. Um, As we mentioned earlier about previous efforts, you know, these might not have had financial commitments or have been taken so seriously or prioritized, and here we are with this huge issue Um, and actually committing financial resources can help to make sure that these things get done. So financial resources would be um, sponsoring memberships for people from underrepresented communities, um, providing funding for surveys, expanding scholarships and awards for black indigenous and people of color um, and continuing to offer um, flexible options for um, the annual meetings that we all like to attend when we can do it in person again Um, but these should be affordable affordable for people from underrepresented communities and those are just a couple of examples of, of investing um, but some other things that we would like to see happen with the SAA would be a, a racial climate survey to assess how bad the problem is. Um, we know anecdotally that our black and brown colleagues have not felt welcome in SAA, but we need the, the data from a survey to be able to address the issue and implement effective changes and that, that is another financial commitment. Um, and one of the most immediate and simplest things that we could do is to provide anti-racism training for board members and staff members um, and also members of a society. Um, let's see, Sarah already mentioned that uh, creating and enforcing an ethics statement uh, that takes a strong position on anti-racism and xenophobia is important. Finally, a very important uh, change that the SAA and other organizations could make would be to to develop stronger relationships with organizations like the SBA, um, the Indigenous Archaeology Collective, Archaeology in the Community, uh, the Association of Black Anthropologists, and to listen and learn from these organizations about what they need from the SAA in order to address the issues that they have experienced. Um, One really good example of this is actually what the the Society for Historical Archaeology just did with the Society for Black Archaeology where they created a memorandum of understanding that laid out um, reciprocal um, benefits that each group will get from each uh, society. So there are reciprocal memberships that have been uh, gifted to each other. So the president of the SBA has a complimentary membership in the SHA and vice versa. Um, And it lays out basically a uh, formalized plan for making sure that the SBA is represented in the SHA and that they have formed a partnership. Um, and that is a really great way to um, show that they're being serious about making these changes.
1: I'll also add that um, there's uh, there was a recent article uh, published this fall in the International Journal of Historical Ar- Archaeology titled The Future is Now, Archaeology and the Eradication of Anti-Blackness. And that was co-authored by Maria Franklin, Justin Dunavant, Ayana Llewellyn, and Alicia Odawale. And towards the end of their article, they provide concrete examples of how professionals, companies, academic institutions, and others in our field can push for anti-racism change. So I really recommend that as a, as a resource as well.
0: Well, on that topic, what can we do as individuals to help to change the system? How can we fight racism, particularly in archaeology?
2: So I think a really great place to start is with self education so learn about anti racism, reflect, think critically, engage with these ideas, and examine your own beliefs and how you can shift towards anti racism um, It's really important there's so many resources out there, books and articles and Um, There actually is a list of resources on SAA's page that Sarah and I and Terry helped create um, that are all about archaeology and and anti-racism and the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, And we can share that link with you so you can share it if you'd like to. Okay.
0: Um,
2: But then, you know, people should get involved with their community, with an organization, um, and really listen to what they need. You can donate time. If that is available to you, donate money. Um, Go to, there's been so many Zoom seminars and forums that have been freely accessible and they're so informative and so helpful. Um, Seek those out and attend those. Uh, If you work in CRM, make sure that your crew um, is a welcoming place to be and a safe place to be for Black, Indigenous, and people of color. Um, If you're in academia, Diversify your syllabus to include more BIPOC voices. Uh, figure out where your place in the world is to be effective in creating change, and listen to those in leadership positions. And you know, just humble yourself and and dive in. Yeah,
1: that's that, that's a really great list, Erin. <laughs> I, I think that that's pretty comprehensive of of some of the things that I was gonna say. Um, uh, in addition to that. Um, you know, sort of evaluating how you can um, be anti-racist in all of your work uh, from, and sort of, you know, uh, consider it as part of like the life cycle of, of, of your career and and of other people's careers. So if you're in a position for mentoring others, um, ensure that uh, you do uh, mentor and encourage um, uh people of minority populations and and encourage them to apply to to different scholarships, submit their papers, um, and just participate in all of these um, different opportunities. Um, Recognize uh, the work of your Black and Brown colleagues um, and incorporate uh, their their work, um, cite their papers, um, incorporate them into... um, you know, proposals and recommendations, uh, site reports, all of these things that we do uh, throughout our careers and throughout, um, you know, even in our daily work, um, there can be many opportunities to sort of be active and engage with with anti-racism. Yeah.
0: Is there any other additional advice that you would give other archaeologists who want to see change?
1: I would definitely encourage people to be engaged with this work, um, and and the phrase "do the work" has been, you know, repeated in a lot of uh, anti-racism um, uh, dialogue recently. And really, to me, what that means is um, educating yourself on racism, anti-racism, and other ways of knowing in archaeology. Um, I, I have found that you know, we all have something to learn in this process, even if, you know, you feel as though you're already participating as an accomplice in this movement. Um, there's always something you need to learn and, and a new perspective to take on. Um, and I would also say, too, that, you know, we're all human. We make mistakes. It's likely that, you know, you may say or do something at some point that offends someone. And um, the important thing is to learn from it and don't let that stop you from continuing to use your voice to make good trouble and speak up for others. Um, and I think you know finding, uh, finding other people who are engaged in this work is really important so that you're not doing it alone. Um, finding other accomplices and other people who can back you up in meetings and finding mentors and mentees um, who you can create safe spaces for um, and who create safe spaces for you as well.
2: Sarah's answer was great. I don't have anything to add.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for talking with us today about this. It's a very important topic, and I think that there is not a simple solution. I think there are a lot of long-term solutions, and that talking about it and hearing about it more often is something that will keep it in people's minds, and hopefully people will come up with more solutions and try to implement change particularly within society within the system to create a different system and that through this through people talking about it that will move towards finding these solutions so thanks again for coming on today to talk about this and about your work
1: yeah thank you Otis and and thanks for you know, choosing to uh, talk about this, uh, host this topic on your podcast and for inviting us.
2: Yes, thank you so much, Otis.
0: Have a nice day.
2: You too. You too.
1: Bye-bye.
0: You've been listening to the Archeo Cafe podcast. For more information and news, check out our website or social media pages. Links can be found in the episode notes, or simply by searching online for Archeo Cafe podcast. If you have any questions or comments for the presenters or guest speakers, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, I'll leave you with this quote from Margaret Murray. Archeology is the study of humanity itself, and unless that attitude towards the subject is kept in mind, archaeology will be overwhelmed by impossible theories and a welter of flint chips.